Literally, no one asked for this. Oh, I did. We're making ourselves do this. <laughs> That's right, folks. It is time for Fifty Shades of Grey. <sighs> Break out the neckties and the handcuffs. <laughs> We're going there. Hey there, romance nerds. Welcome to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. We are librarians at Northern Onondaga Public Library, and we are also romance nerds. Now, if you're wondering what this podcast is about, wait for it. Romance! Specifically, the romance genre of books. We are going to be talking about anything and everything having to do with romance, the genre, the tropes, anything and everything. So with that being said, sometimes our material will be a little too sensitive for younger readers. If you feel the need to wait until they go to bed, we will be here for you. We would also like to issue just a general trigger warning for some of the things that we do talk about. We will always try to issue specific trigger warnings for each episode so that you know what you're getting into. Now, without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I've been ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! some of the fantasies in Fifty Shades of Grey were real. Okay. Like how she got a job right out of college. <laughs> oh! Cry laughing. <laughs> it hurts so much. Oh, it's so accurate though. <laughs> so accurate. Ugh. It's like when, when were we talking about the older generation of right? I hate saying older generation, but the older writers not being in touch with like our generation and writing about our generation Mm -hmm. case in point right there (laughs) (sighs) not accurate at all folks not at all so you excited jackie well i think it's going to be a really good discussion that we're going to have and Mm -hmm. i'm excited for you to actually read the books me too i was really surprised when you said you hadn't and then i asked my friend group and to my surprise and utter amazement Mm -hmm. only two people in my entire friend group have ever read the books same here I just I think because it came out when I was in college Mm. I did not really have time to read anything I was very busy with my friends in school and I think too by that point I really hated Twilight so (laughs) as soon as I heard that it was based off Twilight fan fiction I was like I can probably skip this see I was in college too and I was like no I need to read this now but I was also in the middle of like studying for finals and I read it before it was cool. So do you want to hear my story of reading 50 shades for the first time? Oh my God, please. I want a Jackie origin story. Okay. So this is baby Jackie, like 18 year old Jackie first year away from home at Georgia. And we were, so I was on the UGA equestrian team, the NCAA equestrian team. And every April is the NCAA equestrian championships in Waco, Waco, Texas. And I had brought my school books with me because, you know, studying for finals. I didn't bring my Nook with me because I was like, no, I'm going to study for finals. Oh, man. You wrote this. You read this on a Nook? No, no. (laughs) I didn't take my Nook because I was supposed to be studying for finals. But we went to the airport to go to Waco. 
And I'm like, who am I kidding? I'm not going to study for finals. I want to read something. So I go into the airport kiosk and there is this little paperback book with a silver necktie on the cover in the romance section, 50 Shades of Grey. I'd never heard of it. Nobody else had really heard of it. And I was like, oh, well, it's romance. It sounds vaguely interesting. I'll mm-hmm. read it. Why not? Did the cover attract you that much? Because you remember of, that necktie. Yeah. It's the fact that it was kind of like portrayed as an office romance. And here is the best part. Up until I read the last page, I thought it was a paranormal romance. <laughs> I have no idea where that came into my head. I have no idea. But I think because at the time I only ever read like historical cowboys or Scottish or I read like contemporary paranormal. So I wasn't aware. Gray's power was being an asshole. uh, No, I honestly thought he was like a genie. (laughs) Because of the dance of the seven veils. I was like, oh, 50 shades. Maybe he's got like 50 sides, 50 personalities. Like he shapeshifts. I don't know. That is my origin story. And when I picked the book up to purchase it, the guy behind the kiosk, like I vividly remember his face saying this. He's like, do you know what's in that book? It's filthy. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like he knows what filthy is. I know. Oh my God. But yeah, so that's my Fifty Shades of Grey origin story. I read it before it was cool, guys. (laughs) It's funnier to me. You thought it was natural. Maybe supernaturally bad. Oh my gosh. I still don't know. Like, I'm like, why did I think it was paranormal? There is nothing about it that is paranormal. And yet my brain was like, it's paranormal. (laughs) So, yeah. Before we start, do we have anything we want to warn listeners about with this discussion? Because I think there might be a little bit of a trigger warning in some spots. Yeah, we do have some brief trigger warnings. Mainly, we won't get too heavily into it in this episode. We really want to talk about it more in the next episode after Jen has read the books and knows what the heck is going on. (laughs) But we will be talking about the BDSM issue um, in these books, uh, mostly issues with intimate intimate partner violence, IPV, and domestic abuse. So if those are things that are triggering to you, then please feel free. It's okay. Go back and listen to Ice Planet Barbarians because that's so much of a lighter conversation. <laughs> but Which is funny because it had some of the same issues. It did, but I think we'll talk about it. But Ice Planet Barbarians really handles it in a completely different way and a much more modern way, I mm. think than 50 shades did so interesting take yeah that's 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 it i do want to warn you guys too we are probably going to make fun of 50 shades a little bit Hmm. so if you are a diehard 50 shader uh sorry in advance we are trying not to be too biased and mean and judgmental but it's really easy (laughs) with this one i can't help it i'm so sorry And I feel like such a jerk because I feel like an initial rush of defensiveness when other people make fun of Fifty Shades. Mm -hmm. I think because they target, I think a lot of their criticism, it comes off like really sexist and gross. And I'm hoping our criticism comes off of based off how bad the writing is and how bad it is just in general as a romance novel. See, that's the thing too. It is such a polarizing Mm -hmm. book. It's such a polarizing series and the movies themselves are polarizing. We yeah. can't forget about the movies in this instance. Yeah. And it's really interesting. When I went around, I went to every single coworker except my boss because I didn't want to ask that question of my boss. <laughs> I was like, have you read Fifty Shades? And the majority of the na- answers were, 
Ugh, no. Oh my god. Le- like at a library. I was like, wow. Yeah, that's okay. really surprising. I wonder if some librarians have bad memories because I know when it came out, it very much felt like a thing when it first mm-hmm. came out. And I was still working in my tiny Pennsylvania library before I moved up here. And it was the first book having over a hundred holds and it was a very big deal and patrons would come in and already have a very strong opinion about it and it was all over the news that this was a filthy book and there was discussion of libraries that banned it some of it might be bad memories but some of it could very well be just preconceived notions yeah exactly i like that term i think it is too because it was so blatant about what it was Mm. it was like in your face whereas most romance novels are kind of more, not obscure, but more like demure, I guess you could say, besides the covers. <laughs> and you don't really know what's going to be in them. And librarians are like, oh, it's just it's just a little romance novel. But this one's like, no, sex. <laughs> Nipple clamps. Vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. And I think people are going to have their hackles stand up pretty quickly when they hear those things. Just because of yeah, the society fair. that we live in and... Mm-hmm representations of sex and romance in the popular media it's very uncomfortable for people it is that's why we're talking about it because jen and i have no problem talking about this (laughs) no we love talking about it unless it's in front of our boss or parents no please i don't want to get fired that's my only (laughs) request of you (laughs) don't lead me down a discussion where i get fired i love this Uh, job yeah so this discussion will also probably be a little bit more uh on the not tame side nsfw if you will not safe for work put your earbuds in that's your warning. <laughs> All right. Should we get into Master of the Universe? Let's let's start with a history of Fifty Shades, a brief timeline. Let's put on our little rewind music. <laughs> and we're going to go back to Twilight era. <sighs> years of my high school. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't want to go back. <laughs> we got to. I know. So if you listened to one of our first episodes during October 2020 was Vampire Month. And episodes three and four, we looked at vampire books, one of which was Twilight. And in case you weren't aware, Twilight was a huge phenomenon on its own. If you weren't aware, I wanted to meet you. (laughs) Let me just bask in your innocence. Innocence. (laughs) But... If you're interested in knowing more about that, definitely go back and listen to episodes three and four, and you'll learn more about, like, what inspired that rush of popularity for Twilight. But what really happened was a lot of the more mature readers, a lot of the more adult readers were left wanting more, especially Mm -hmm. with the relationship between the two characters, Edward and Bella. Basically, they wanted more sex. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is where fan fiction steps in. And Jen, would you like to give us a little brief description of what fan fiction is? Fan fiction is literally fiction written by fans of a show or uh, any kind of medium, really. And it can be something to fill in gaps of a show. It can be something to expand on a character or situation. It could just be something that, like Jackie said, the people really wanted to see, wanted to explore. And Twilight was a perfect platform to have a massive fandom and a massive fan fiction group around it. Just because it was so bland as a book. I'm very sorry to Twilight writers. (laughs) But that's just, it was a very easy canvas to manipulate and to create these new worlds and these new fictions. Um, I've been reading fan fiction since like sixth grade. So I've been really involved in fandom groups forever. I can tell you though, I did not read Master of the Universe. 
So in 2009, a new fan fiction came along by an author named Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Great name. I love fan fiction author names. I mean, Master of the Universe is a terrible name. Fifty Shades is much better, but I do like Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. She should have kept that. Yes. And so Snow Queen's Ice Dragon came out with a serial. And how most fan fiction works is like you'll publish a chapter once a week, pretty much. And that kind of like creates an audience. It's like an episode of a show, I guess you could say. And she started releasing these serials under the title Masters of the Universe, which was a fanfic of Twilight. So Mm -hmm. it took Edward and Bella and it placed them in um, like an office type setting where Edward now named something else, was the head of the office. He was a billionaire. He was rich. And, you know, he was everything. And then Bella, under a different name, was an intern at the office, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were still Edward and Bella as Masters of the Universe. One thing that was really interesting, I thought, about the Twilight fandom at the time, they were almost all human. Mm -hmm. So everybody put them into this alternate universe. And, yeah, for some reason... Yeah, no vampires. Edward and Bella are totally normal humans trying to make their way through life. And Edward just happens to be really into BDSM and sex and very much not the innocent virgin he had been in Twilight. No, not at all. And it ends up being a very popular genre for the fan fiction. Uh, There were a lot of office romances based around Bella and Edward. It was kind of a trend. This got so popular, in fact, that uh, Snow Queen's Ice Dragon, aka Erica Leonard, aka mm-hmm. E.L. James, who from here on forward we're just going to refer to as James. Yeah, it's uh, she created her own website called fiftyshades.com mm-hmm. because it got so popular. Mm-hmm. And by 2011, there were 56,000 reviews just for the fan fiction. Yeah. Which is wild to me. That's insane. Like a lot of modern published books are lucky if they can get that many reviews on Goodreads. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. And these are people who are leaving reviews, like, every chapter. And this got so popular, in fact, that in 2011, James took her manuscript, um, Masters of the Universe, to an Australian publisher called the Writer's Coffee Shop Publishing House, which originally I thought was self-publishing, but it is an actual publishing house. They do mostly e-books, but they do have print version as well. Mm -hmm. And she took it, she changed it, she developed it into a trilogy, and she released it under Fifty Shades of Grey, the Fifty Shades trilogy. Um, Not much was changed. I never read the original fanfic, so I'm not sure how much was, how much wasn't. A lot of people in the fandom got really mad at her, and they actually ran her book through like a turn it in kind of program. Uh, 89% of it is still original to the original Masters of the Universe. So she really just changed the name, some situations. I think she added a few scenes and tweaked some things, but 89% is the number I kept seeing quoted. Granted, these are coming from people that are really mad at her. So (laughs) potentially it could be a little less, but there are Masters of the Universe PDFs available online. If you Google it, you can read it for yourself. Uh, Decide how much she did or didn't change, if that really matters to you. I mean... Maybe for bonus reading for the next episode, we'll read it. (laughs) (laughs) To waste our lives a little further. I don't know if I like you guys that much. (laughs) I don't know if I can read fanfic from 2009. (laughs) So 2011, um, the fanfiction.net, the Masters of the Universe was deleted and the defunct, it is now a defunct site for Mm 50shades.com. It's not a thing anymore. You can't go there. Sorry, but we'll try to find a PDF. And if I can, I will link it in the show notes for you. And they released, the Australian publisher released this both as eBooks and as hard copies. Now, 
The hard copy was a pretty quote unquote sluggish release just because it's an indie publishing house. They don't have much resource available, many resources available. So it was a pretty limited run, but the ebook downloads was crazy. It was unprecedented. There were 250,000 downloads between November, 2011 or no, sorry, between April 2011 and November November 2011. I almost said 20,011. <laughs> to her credit, she really did pick the time well to roll yes. out cuz it felt it feels like that's right at the tip of the ebook craze. Yeah. And she like took full advantage. Kind of perfect timing because yeah. this was when ebooks and paper and like hard copy publishing was kind of going head to head and people were really scared that hard copy books were going to go out the window Kobo, nook kindle had just really come out they were mm-hmm. starting to really take precedence and so the idea of being able to download quote-unquote a trashy book and not have people judge you for the lurid cover quote-unquote um was really something that i think helped this book mm-hmm. gained so much popularity. The other thing that happened was because there was such a cult following for the fan fiction Masters of the Universe, that when the book itself was released and it was put on the Goodreads, which is like a social media site for books, if you're not familiar with it, um, it received enough five-star reviews that it was nominated for a Goodreads Best Romance Award. Mm, that's a big deal. In less than a year. That's and- insane. It's crazy. And for a book that ha- didn't have a major, one of the big five publishers, mm-hmm. so the big five, like uh, Random House, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't one of the big publishers. And it was literally such a huge word of mouth mm-hmm. campaign that between November 2011 and February 2012, it blew up. And suddenly in states like New York, New Jersey, Florida, and states out in the Midwest, this book was becoming the book. You probably remember this trend if you were like vaguely aware of the the craze of like mm-hmm. all book clubs during this time. Yeah. Everybody was reading it. Everybody oh, yeah. wanted it. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that in New York City, a publisher for Random House, which is one of the big five, heard mm-hmm. of this. And she, it's not a good book. She admits that she didn't think it was a great book. <laughs> so but- she saw dollar signs. She mm-hmm. saw the light and she goes, you know what? This is the book that everybody wants. This is yeah. the book that is causing a scene and making a conversation. And Random House approached E.L. James, Erica Leonard, and said, listen, we want to buy your book and we want to print it on a mass scale. And April 2012, the book released under an imprint of Random House, Vintage Books. Actually, the whole trilogy released. Mm-hmm. And within a week, one week, week of the book series going on sale it hit number one on the new york times bestseller wow it has to end for just a number for it to make a new york times bestseller list it has to sell upwards of five thousand copies at the minimum it's so impressive and insane and admirable and it's so frustrating it happened to 50 shades out of all the romance books it's so i love this quote from russell pearl who was at the time the vice president of communications at random house The last phenomenon we had before Fifty Shades was Stieg Larsson's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. It took four years to sell 20 million copies worldwide. Fifty Shades did that in four months. (laughs) At its height, two copies were sold every single second in the United States. It's insane. 
it published so much in the UK that the publisher ran out of silver ink. <laughs> it, they couldn't keep it on the shelves. And I, I remember this. I remember I wasn't working in libraries at the time, but I was like vaguely aware of going to Barnes Noble and people searching for that book. Like yeah. there was a social media post up. Are you looking for that book? Well, we have it. Come get it while it's here. It's just wild what happened. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it was um, made into a movie. Made into a trilogy of movies in 2016. And those were some of the highest, uh, I don't have the numbers for that, but they also brought in a bunch of money. I think it was in the billions. Probably. I mean, everybody yeah. wanted to go see it, especially the first one. Maybe it, it died down as each film came yeah. out, probably. But it was a big deal. And then there was all the stuff that came with the movies. The merch. Oh my god. I mean, I do love E.L. James because she has more money than James Patterson. Seriously. I'll give her that. So in a year, she made $10.5 million at the end of, like, the whole mm -hmm. buzz, I will say. All from Twilight fan fiction. Seriously. It's, it's wild. <laughs> it's just wild. And I'm sitting, like, Jen and I were sitting over here scratching our heads going, what the heck? Mm -hmm. Why? How? How? <laughs> just a perfect storm of circumstances. Yeah. And that is the question. Mm -hmm. So... Who was reading this book, Jen? Who were the readers? I mean, not women. to be ridiculous. Yeah, it was mostly women. Um, sorry. The numbers <laughs> coming out are 30s, 40s, 50s. There probably were some college students. Like roughly. Me. Yeah, like you. Uh, data from Nieslin. Nieslin? Nieslin. Nielsen. Nielsen. Okay. Data from Nieslin said that about a third <laughs> I don't know. Here, Listen, data from Nielsen. <laughs> Probably a third of the people who bought the book you reported were 18 to 29 years old. So it sounds like it was actually pretty intergenerational. A lot of people yeah. called it mommy porn, but it Ugh. sounds like a lot of people who weren't mommies were reading it. I really hate that term. Mm -hmm. Besides panties, like mommy porn is my least favorite term. Yeah, mommy porn is just very Ugh. mean. I'm not mean, but like patronizing maybe. Very patronizing. Yeah. Oh, look at you sounding British patronizing. You got it in my head. <laughs> you ruined me. The majority of this, I think, of the readers were, of course, women. They were the ones in the book clubs that were kind of the word of mouth um, that was spreading this. And mm -hmm. the majority of women who are in book clubs are going to be that, young, that like mom range, let's yeah. say. So and there's a lot of those women, too, in fandom still. I mean, yeah. you, so they're the ones that helped lifted her up anyway. Mm -hmm. this is true and I mean just thinking of my friend circle and we were talking about like why our generation mine and Jen's younger millennials <laughs> hadn't <laughs> read this was because maybe we were on the younger end of the spectrum when this really came out and we mm -hmm. were tired of Twilight and we weren't really into it I don't know I just remember having a hard time reading I don't know maybe if this had come out a couple years later yeah mm. see my sister was at the time so she's nine years older than me so she would have been like 28 Mm -hmm. at the time that it came out so and she was a young mom so she was kind of like right in that generation and she read them okay. and so she's kind of in the demographic that I think it was going after did she like them yeah she likes them mm -hmm. she likes the movies too and I'm trying not to ridicule <laughs> I'm trying to be nice I'm like can I can I recommend some good things for you <laughs> listen I'm trying so hard I know I'm not trying that hard, actually. I'm trying to not be too crazy mean. Because I feel like in a different author, this probably would have been a lot more enjoyable. I like a lot of these tropes normally. She just doesn't. It's not good writing. I'm sorry. And I think we'll get into this. But 
why it's so popular and why we hate it, even though it is so popular, mm-hmm. is because I think we've read better so things that handle these exact same yeah. issues. With authors and, we can trust. Yeah, authors we can trust, plot lines that are far more believable and enjoyable and better written, frankly. Yeah. My roommate and I, when we were writing our master's dissertations, we would frequently, if we ever wanted to have like a cry fest, we would grab the bottle of wine and we'd stare at each other and we would say, we will never be published, but Fifty Shades was. (laughs) And that would start our crying jag. It was great. Hi, Anna. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to popularity, shall we? Mm -hmm. So on that note, you, Jen, you said it was a perfect storm that right. made this book so popular. Mm-hmm. Off the bat, why do you think it got so popular? It was kind of just perfect timing. I think E.L. James was the perfect person to publicize and market this type of book. It mm-hmm. was kind of just really all of the perfect circumstances coming together to create this really wild cultural phenomenon. That would make her mm-hmm. a ton of money, get her a ton of attention. I don't know if she had done this any earlier or any sooner. It would have worked quite as well. I think, yeah. So I don't. Were... Like, I don't. I was thinking about this. I don't think you could have a Fifty Shades thing in like 2021. Oh, we have Bridgertons. But, yeah, but that's a TV show, and it but didn't. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's not the same hit. Yeah, it does hit different. Yeah, <laughs> but. I don't know. Like it was the perfect timing. I think mm-hmm. mostly because of ebooks and yeah. the technology that came around that really allowed us to start being able to read ebooks. Mm-hmm. But the other big things that happened were that James was very specific on how she wanted right. this to be published, and she didn't want it published as a romance book. She didn't want it to be marketed <laughs> as a romance book. Which I mean, it is. Reason. It is a romance, but. She wanted it to be marketed as contemporary fiction. And so that first round in 2011, and she's done interviews saying this, she had very specific ideas of what the covers were going to look like. She didn't want to change the story because of the fanfic and all this sort of stuff. And by waiting until Random House came along and they said okay to everything she wanted, I think that it helped market this just mm-hmm. kind of like to the perfect subset of yeah. audience that would spread the word mm-hmm. not only that but then the fact that she already had such a huge uh like cult following so many yeah. devoted readers mm-hmm. and this is a cult it's the cult of 50 shades <laughs> here's our title for the episode <laughs> um the fact that she already had so many readers that then just automatically gave it five stars on Goodreads, that then nominated it for the best award, yeah. best romance award. That is really what caused it to happen. Mm-hmm. That's what caused this book, I think, to gain popularity. It was this book that nobody had heard of. Suddenly it was there. It wasn't a typical romance. It was sexy, it, quote unquote, we'll talk about that. <laughs> it was something that hadn't really hit mainstream before. And it was a polarizing book where people either really wanted to read it or they were scorning it like mm-hmm. hardcore. Yeah, you didn't really have a neutral opinion. It was one no. of those type of things. And I think, too, it was also the fact that it, it was a cult. It was a cult of celebrity and notoriety mm-hmm. where you were either reading it or you wanted to read it because everybody else was reading it. Yeah. 
it was the social media 2011 you wanted to be part of the party exactly FOMO right yeah I it was just so much stuff and you know so much stuff you know what it just occurred to me we Mm -hmm. take it for granted how easy it is to find some of like the darker erotica and some of the BDSM stuff it's very easy today but I imagine Mm -hmm. in 2010 2011 probably a lot of typical mainstream romance readers were not aware that there were already these kind of books out there that was me yeah yeah so this was really their first exposure and their first like oh wow this is kind of interesting this is my first time seeing something like this i think there was just as much of that happening too so again going back to my it was really kind of the perfect time it yeah and also, too, after this, it just created a snowball effect yeah. for erotic romance mm-hmm. and for more of the quote-unquote hardcore stuff to the fact that between 2012 and 2015, publishers were actively seeking authors to go out and write like this mm-hmm. erotic BDSM romance. And after 2015, it kind of died out. And the only person who really still is making a go of it in the mainstream, I say, would be Sylvia Day. She's pretty good. Or um, maybe Mary uh, Maya Banks. Maya Banks. Maya Banks um, is still pretty good. Helen Hart, I think. Yeah. There's still a couple out there, but they're definitely not going to be as big as E.L. James. I think probably what I see the most of, I see that kind of cover. I mean, we're going back and forth between like the cartoon covers and those kind of things. But I see a lot of those kind of single image monotone things still out there. That too. I mean, if you just look at all the covers that came out for romance novels between 2012 and 2015, it was Mm -hmm. like all this inanimate object on a velvety background mm. it's it's wild i'll see if i can find like a succinct because somebody talked about it in some article somewhere i'll see if yeah. i can find it and i'll link it in the show notes for it you. was interesting and it they're it's completely true <laughs> yeah so let's talk about the pros and cons of this and you are there not having read it <laughs> yes there are I'm pros I'm kidding. i know there are pros i'm sorry i had to say it and can since I, Jen hasn't read it, it's going to be interesting because she's solely going off the research and what she's heard yeah. in, like, media and from me. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting. And I have probably have been kind of baked into this initial dislike of it because I have mm-hmm. been in the fandom communities where they've been like, oh, that sucks. She stole it. Rah, rah. But I also remember one of my friends growing up, her parents actually read this book, and they used it as an opportunity to talk to each other. Oh, that's good. So, I mean there is that aspect so i'm not gonna i promise i will not be totally mean and negative but there are a lot of negatives and i think we should definitely discuss the negatives first let's start let's start with the good (laughs) oh you do want to start with the good all right then just cut out that no it's okay it's okay i think it's uh because there are good aspects of this book and mainly the storyline itself isn't good let's let's just put that out put that aside We're just going to put a pin in that and come back to that in a minute. But what is good about this is, like you said, Jen, it did open up the conversation. There's no doubt about that. A lot of people talked about it. Yeah. And a lot of people who hadn't been exposed to romance were suddenly exposed to it in a whole Mm -hmm. new way. Yeah. That was wild and maybe not the best, but we'll get to that in a minute, too. I liked it, though, because I feel like it's so much easier for us to talk about things like violence. Yes. And abuse. And to really glorify that aspect. And it's very hard to talk about sex. And it's very hard to talk about things relating to, like, pleasure. And to, you know, we're so uh, puritanical in that aspect. 
So again, I don't know if Fifty Shades was the best vehicle for that, but I appreciated that it was opening these little pockets of conversation for that. It did open the door, yeah. It opened the door, yeah. Not only that, but it opened a door into female pleasure that really wasn't made mainstream, I don't think, before this. I mean, I remember reading stories of things like, you know that Blue Valentine movie? Yeah. Yeah, they it was originally going to get an NC-17 rating because they had an instance of um a man go, like a man going down on a woman. For oral, yeah. And think about all the and Now R- look at Bridgerton's on Netflix. <laughs> well, think about all the R movies that constantly have so yeah. much sex and violence and cursing and it's much more normalized for a woman to perform oral sex on a man than opposite. Mm-hmm. So instantly any hint of that I've read, it got an NC-17 rating until they took it out. Yeah. So things, things like that are very prevalent. And I liked it. F- I do appreciate Fifty Shades for that aspect of, like, maybe it wasn't the best representation. We were talking about it, even in a sense of, like, this isn't what we should do, but maybe we should talk about what we could do. Yeah. And also it opened up the discussion of, like, I'm sorry, this is definitely NSFW coming forward. Um, things of like toys in the bedroom yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Target even got in on this and they started selling like nipple clamps and vibrators and lube that were specifically Target owned brand for 50 shades of gray. According to one podcast that I listened to, it was on the end cap for one of the makeup aisles. <laughs> I am really tempted to go to my Target now and like wander around and be like, so. Where are the uh, where are the toys at, guys? You just <laughs> but have I don't think find... I'm brave enough to ask. Listen, you just have to find the oldest coworker with the most <laughs> dead look in their eyes and ask if they remember. Oh my god! Be like Christian Gray. Well, it's been years since I've heard that name. It's been ninety-two years, <laughs> <laughs> or however long it was in Titanic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it really. Love Honey, which is one of, like, the largest Ooh. producers. Mm-hmm. They're based in the UK for, like, sexual gratification toys. I don't know. We're just going to call them toys because I feel gross saying that term. Thank you. I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, of personal toys, they sold out of things like nipple clamps because of Fifty Shades of Grey. Hang on. I have the stats. Let me let me. Yeah, I'm really – I hope this was safe for people, though. I get a little nervous about people using them correctly. <sighs> Well, that's the thing. You hear so many horror stories about people going to the to ER the with, like, room. things stuck up their butt. <laughs> and I especially love during this time period in COVID and all, like, the ER doctors and nurses saying, listen, we love you, but this is not the time. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine if Fifty Shades was released during COVID? Ugh. Oh, my God. Oh, no, that's not good. Because we'll talk about this in the cons later with, like, inter- intimate partner violence, which is IPV, the standard... And, like, just how that has gone up during COVID. Mm-hmm. No. No. But on a lighter note, Love Honey. Yeah, no, this is the happy side, Jackie. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Um, so, sex toy company Love Honey increased its sales tenfold to $100 million in, like, two years. And then they sold wow. out. What did they sell out of? Let me see. I had notes because I thought it was. Oh, Kegel balls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he used them on her, right? And nobody had known what those were probably up until that point. And they went from selling 300 a month to 3,000 in 2012. That's crazy. Just wild. And uh, like so much stuff. Like, so it it opened the discussion. It especially opened up like ideals of women's pleasure and like play between partners and all this sort of stuff, which is great. 
I wonder if it made people feel like they had permission to think about these things or Mm. to kind of discuss them with other people. So something else, I mean, we live in such a puritanical society in the United States. We really do. Like our Mm -hmm. foundational values are very puritanical. We've talked about this before. That for a book like Fifty Shades to be in your face and to be kind of front and center in almost every single book club for over a year. Mm -hmm. And then for the movies to be so mainstream, even though they were rated R and featured 20 minutes of sex. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just laughing because of course we're recording this after Bridgerton's and I keep making comparisons in my head because of how well Bridgerton's was done and handled versus like Fifty Shades of Grey. But with certain aspects. Yeah, with certain aspects. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have to talk about Bridgerton's at another point. point. Yeah. We will. We have it on the in schedule. The future. Mm-hmm. But for this book to be so prevalent, it not only opened up the discussion like in general society, but also for the romance book industry. Yeah. It just blew up. I do love and, what Fifty Shades did for ebooks. Yes, for ebooks. And it made people realize that ebooks weren't going to beat out the print book publishing. Mm-hmm. Because once print books, the print book versions were released, as I said, they were selling out as soon as they yeah, got on the shelf. Yeah, still buying them. I, yeah. We're still buying print books. Honestly, I still prefer a print book most of the time. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those earlier think pieces of how this was going to kill the publishing industry were a little overdramatic. Yeah, and I'm glad it was Fifty Shades that proved it. Yes, they were very fatalist about <laughs> Which it. Which is really funny. And I do wonder if it if it helped open romance up to a new generation of, of people. Oh, yeah. I definitely Which think it really does. Which is really nice. Yeah. Like, people like my sister had never, I mean, I know she read Harlequin growing up, but she never really read mainstream romance novels until she read this. And then she started asking me. I like a good Harlequin, but they're not the best representation of romance all the time. No. But then also, too, like, things like covers of romance novels, and we already talked about, they started changing. Yeah. And today, we still have bodice rippers, but they're mostly going to be, like, historical novels where it's pretty much a trope that they have that... I feel like I see them on Regency and maybe an erotic once in a while. Yeah. But for the most part, it really changed the game on what a romance novel could look like Mm -hmm. and what publishers were envisioning romance novels as, which I really admire and applaud E.L. James for standing her ground about the cover. I really Yeah, she was right about that. Like, good job on her. And that I wonder if that was hard for her being a new author and Yeah. She was older and she'd had some experience in the entertainment industry, so maybe she was a tough broad. But this is true. It's cool that she stood her ground and like knew what she wanted. She had her vision and she executed it. Just wish the vision was better. And then also it showed how successful a movie adaptation could be for adults. Yeah, that's true. Because up till that point, what was it? Just mostly YA? Yeah, Harry Potter, Twilight, Hunger Games, that sort of stuff. Um, Of course, there was like the Jason Bourne. But most people, I think, who watched the movies weren't necessarily aware that that was a book series. Or like same things with uh, 007. that is that one of the first times a romance series was adapted for the big screen and it was a massive deal because like people are always taking from thrillers right i mean james bond yeah. was the first jason Bourne, like you said uh what's that thing tom cruise was in i don't know he beat somebody uh, it doesn't matter i don't care it's all the same <laughs> what is that stephen king is impossible like, yeah whatever and stephen king has had a bazillion adaptions of his books but it's not like Nora Roberts ever got this opportunity. No, or... she did. She did. But it but was like, like in a, a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the same thing as on the big screen, having this massive publicity machine behind it. Uh, I feel like this was one of the first, right? Can you remember one? 
Well, I mean, if we're not talking about classics like uh, uh, Jane Eyre or um, well, Pride I, and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice was probably like the biggest like romantic yeah. adaptation, I will say. Mm-hmm. But yeah. But like um, even Daniel Steele, I don't think has gotten like a major movie release. No. So this was actually, you're right. This was a big deal that it happened. Yeah. So there's a list of books like obviously it's not a complete list of books that have been romance books that have been made into movies and of course romance or uh nicholas sparks is on there Ugh. he's not uh, a romance author but he though, writes but... love stories i know can you hear the sarcasm yeah can you hear our eyes rolling Ugh. but outside of that the large majority is so we have like time traveler's wife which i wouldn't necessarily call yeah, a romance really romance either dies. yeah uh, the Notebook, of course. So again, yeah. Nicholas Sparks, Fine, and then maybe. a lot of YA, like Beastly. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, for a book. Towns, Fault in Our Stars, mm-hmm. Twilight. Yeah. So, I would say this was the first big romance movie adaptation that hit big time. So good on Fifty Shades for that too. Yeah. Hey, can I tell you a petty reason I really like this book? Yeah. Sometimes I really yeah. love how much the literary people freaked out about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh it's my very God. petty of me, but I love how they felt like their really special club was being encroached on somehow. So in case you, dear listener, are not aware, <laughs> romance is not considered real literature. Ugh. Capital L for literature. Gross. Literary. It's missing some literary prestige, as I put yes. it. And real readers don't read that trash. Get over yourselves. Take your stick out of your butt and go (laughs) read a good book. So literary fiction, what we consider, and I'm not hating on literary fiction. There are some really good books. Mm -hmm. There are some good things out there. But what I hate, absolutely hate, is literary readers or literary writers who are like, no, we don't read that. We only read real books mm-hmm. and then they read james patterson yeah they've got an attitude problem they really do they've got, they keep their their club very tight-knit very exclusive they make a big deal over being the ones that decide and curate what is good art mm-hmm. and it's just i love that this ruffled their feathers so much and then this came out and like blew all their fancy schmancy pants books out of the mm. water with sex but you know i do love think it. There's a tendency because something's super popular and makes a ton of money that you just instantly dismiss it as, well, this is just like trash. This is just, if everybody loves it, then it can't be good. Exactly. You know, if everybody gets it, then it's not really anything special. But it's interesting the double standard that exists for that too, because Mm -hmm. how many people love James Patterson or, I don't know, like classic, like Jane Eyre. But listen, if you're reading, then all books are good books. Unless you're reading, like, Mein Kampf 9, ironically. <laughs> then no. <laughs> so we keep making fun and, like, keep poking holes in these things. But really, if you're reading it and you're enjoying it, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yep. You do you. And tell us why we're wrong. Yeah, please. I'm wrong about a lot of things. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to the non-fun side. Oh, boy. <laughs> let's talk about some of the issues of 50 Oh, hey. What? I have an idea. Uh, mm. Do you want to hear a joke before okay, we get yeah. to the bad stuff? Yeah, hit me. <laughs> okay. Hit me. <laughs> so my mother said she wanted to see Fifty Shades of Grey, and I took a photo of her hair! Oh, that is so mean. <laughs> my mother would hit me if I did that. <laughs> All right, there's our fun little... I love it. 
Now, are you ready to be depressed? Yeah, we won't go too much into this because, like I said, I really want Jen to read the books before we dive into these discussions too deeply. And we're also, like, running out of time. So, Um, there are a lot of issues that people have with these books, especially when you read them now in, like, 2021. They -hmm. have not aged well. No, they didn't age well even when they were coming out. But no, and a lot of the big issues were related to the BDS, the representation of the BDSM community, as well as the relationship issues between the main characters Anna and Christian. Oh, that's mm-hmm. something we never did. We never really gave a synopsis, but that's okay. We'll wait until you read it to give a synopsis. Yeah. Um. So with the BDSM, right off the bat. The biggest issue is that E.L. James came out and said she didn't mean it to be be a BDSM book. Mm-hmm. And yet the entire, like, the majority of the sex relationship is based around BDSM. Oh, so really quick, BDSM, in case you guys aren't familiar with the term, is uh, it's, a, it's a practice. It's a sexual practice. And the BDSM letters stand for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. Typically, it's shortened to bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a more spicy side of sexual relationships. Um, it's spicy. I mean, it's a, a little bit of spice. Yeah. I mean, it's like a way to play with power. Yeah, and that is where the big issue of this comes in is the representation of how Christian Gray uses his power in the relationship. Yeah. And a lot of the BDSM community came back very strongly against this book, especially because you have people who had never been in the community before. So, like Larry and Jane on the corner who have quote unquote vanilla sex every Friday. They read this book and they decide to spice up their life. They buy handcuffs and a gag. And next thing you know, Jane is in the ER because she stopped breathing. And that is something that happens a lot mm-hmm. with this book going mainstream. And that's a grand, that's very generalization, but that is something that the BDSM community was very like vocal against. I mean, and I did see a lot of people publish stats about increased er visits mm-hmm. i don't know how much of that can be related to the book and how much of it was kind of like oh let's pin this on 50 shade but people definitely were hurting themselves yeah there was a lot of research too that was going around that was talking about how 50 shades was very triggering to yeah and uh trigger warning right here guys um that was very triggering to people with or women especially readers of this book series with issues of um eating disorders mm-hmm. or disordered eating and um intimate part violence and self-harm and all those things there were some studies out there that showed that if they read this they were i'm not sure the percent but they were more likely to continue to engage in these practices some, some researchers and i hated this one some yeah. researchers, researchers even went so far as to say that reading this book caused people to go into things no. like self-harm and disordered eating <sighs> listen i understand that if you read a certain book, it can be triggering to you. And that's why we always have to try to have trigger warnings with our discussions because we don't want that to happen. Yeah. And I have been triggered by reading a book before that didn't give any trigger warnings. So I can understand where some of the instances in Fifty Shades of Grey would be triggering to a reader. Mm-hmm. But the way the researchers went about it, yeah. they were aggrandizing like mm-hmm. 100%. I feel like the one study that you talked about, I think when I looked at some of the details, it was just a study of like 400 people, only something like 280 of them had written the book, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the researchers came they in were looking for it. Emotions. Yeah, and they were just matching the evidence to fit. 
I'm not they were saying going on a witch hunt, but, and it's hard because you know I wonder if maybe they're not totally wrong with some women, but it very much felt like an opportunity for them to make a really viral research paper, yeah, and to kind of force their own perceived preconceived notions. So I don't think this was great research overall. Mm. And I hate saying that because I love research. I think they're doing really valuable work usually. And I'm sure probably bad things did happen from this book. Probably. But I don't think it was at the rate that they're reporting. Right. Because, I mean, there's the whole Fifty Shades defense that. Yeah. This pissed me off so much. It's so much. This pissed me off. So this is the Fifty Shades defense is a British defense. I think it was used in the U.S. a couple times. Yeah. But it was used in instances of intimate partner violence, IPV, where mm-hmm. um, mostly where the female had been killed by her usually male partner while they were practicing, um, quote, unquote, dominant submissive sex. And no, he killed her <laughs> purposefully is the large outcome. Was it even always killing? I thought sometimes it was just abuse or rape, and they'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah. he liked Fifty Shades, so he thought she was into it. I mean, there was that real-life case in, what, California? You were talking yeah, about? I thought it was Canada. Canada. Something like that. Oh, yeah, and then it was also, so the Fifty Shades defense was also portrayed in, like, popular media, like Law & Order SVU. Yeah. There was episode. an episode based on that. It's, it's gross, and mm-hmm. it should not have been glorified in that way at all i do want to say because i saw that one thing you had posted about choking choking Mm. has always been a major red flag in Mm -hmm. domestic abuse i read this really great book called no visible bruises and it talks about strangulation has always been an issue it's always been a struggle to get law enforcement to uh put it under a tougher statue so that it's a bigger crime when it happens because if you think about it it's kind of either threatened or attempted murder Mm mm-hmm so it's really frustrating to me that all of these defense lawyers lawyers had jumped on Fifty Shades as a reason to be like, oh, no, my the guy isn't actually abusive. He just saw this in Fifty Shades and thought she would like it. But this has been happening way before Fifty Shades and it'll happen after. Yeah. I do want to say that there are, if you're practicing safe BDSM with a trustworthy partner and not a piece of crap like Christian Grey. <laughs> Sorry, I went there. Um, there are safe instances where you can you can use choking, and if that's what gets you going, then good for you. But be safe about it is the thing. Do it with a trustworthy partner. Do it with somebody who is quote unquote trained in the practice, mm-hmm. not with some guy you just met on Tinder an hour ago, and now you're hooking up. Oh God, please never do this on Tinder. <laughs> oh my God, one of the favorite quotes I came across was like, "Listen, nobody brings out handcuffs on the first Tinder date. That's how you go to jail." Yeah. <laughs> that made me giggle. Yeah. Something else that is a con for me, and we'll wrap this up here in a minute, but this is a bit of a lighter con too, is that people keep saying this is like the sexiest book ever written. It's not this. Oh my God, no. We just came off talking about blue aliens with tails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's. I wish I could title our episode this, but another one of the quotes is, I have weirder sex on a Tuesday. <laughs> It just was really her marketing that made this get so big. It wasn't that it was an accurate look at anything. It wasn't like this was praise to the high heavens. And it was people it was who just, had never been exposed to this exactly. type of So they didn't know any better. Before. They didn't. I didn't know any better. I thought this was great at the time. And then I discovered authors like Sylvia Day mm-hmm. or Ruby Dixon. 
And like I love fan fiction, but this kind of is just what happens in fan fiction. Yeah. It's yeah. just some of it is really good and well researched and very, very right. And others is Virgin's writing. Yeah. And <laughs> people it, don't know what they're not to be about. mean. <laughs> don't be mean, Jen. <laughs> I'm not being mean. There's nothing wrong with being a virgin, but no. you just like you don't know. No, this is true. And also too, I mean Yo, James admits this is that when she was writing this, she didn't practice BDSM. She'd never yeah. been exposed to the community. She was like watching porn and doing quote unquote dark research on the net. She probably took a lot of this from other fan fiction. Yeah, this we is all not... build off each other after a while. No, and we can talk about the male view of porn all we want. It's not oh accurate. God, it's not good, especially if you don't don't do this. Don't research BDSM on a porn site. It's scary. But I do, it's interesting to me that a lot of people are arguing that B- Fifty Shades ended up normalizing a lot of the rougher BDSM or the incorrect BDSM or it's super anti-feminist because it's see- treating teaching men to like treat women more like objects and that you have to have this kinkier sex rather than mm-hmm. like a normal vanilla. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we'll get into that more next discussion, but... Yeah, even more than we already have. Yeah, sorry about that. This sorry, guys. Happen. This is a longer discussion than we thought, but hey, whatever. Listen, right? you know, Fifty Shades is such a crazy thing that we probably could have done a whole series, but we are not going to do that to us or yourselves. No, 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 no. That's the thing, too, is that usually when we're researching a topic, we have to dig for anything. Mm-hmm. And the second you type Fifty Shades into Google, thousands so of results stuff. come up. Yeah. So much. And it was like sorting the wheat from the chaff. It was... Yeah. I went down a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah. Too many. I learned a lot. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to learn. So can I tell you guys my theory on what I'm going to think about Fifty Shades when I read it next week? Tell us a tale. So my guess of Fifty Shades, just from knowing fandom, and I've been in these spaces for like a thousand years, I have come (laughs) to the conclusion that James isn't really a writer so much as she's a really skilled gatherer. She found all of these pieces that made other fics really popular, and she was really great at sticking them together in one story. I think that's why her other book failed so bad. Mm-hmm. So Fifty Shades, I think, is going to really bore me, and it's going to mm-hmm. really remind me of a grown-up version of the kind of fics that uh, youngish or more immature or authors kind of getting started right. Where So there's a trope where One Direction buys you, <laughs> or like BTS is in the Mafia, or you're like in a high school story i'm kind of thinking that's what it's going to remind me of that is my guess i think she had the right skill set and the right timing to bring that vibe to a larger audience and make a lot of money off of it so i will let you know if that view holds true next week no no not next week next episode. two weeks two weeks two weeks you'll find out our next episode comes out on February 19th, of course, the Friday, or the Friday after Valentine's Day. Ooh, and, of course, it is the 10-year anniversary, 2011, of the books being published originally. So let's see what 10 years does to a romance novel. Oh <laughs> That's not a romance novel. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks for listening. It's been fun, sort of. Is it, has it been fun, Jackie, for you? It's been interesting. I learned a lot of stuff. And in my manuscript, I am now, like, doing explicit consent talk. So, you know, that's fun. So, hey, Jackie. Yes. Do you want, do you want to know a joke that might get me fired? Yes. Where did E.L. James learn to write Fifty Shades of Grey? Where? AP Cliniture. But <laughs> <laughs> Are we done? We're done. <laughs> I don't know.
All right, rage on! Bye, guys. (laughs) 